Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we continue our study here. And in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. Now, let's put things in perspective here. This is Paul, formerly Saul, and in his BC days before Christ, he was a imprisoner, persecutor, and killer of Christians. This, this is, this is the nature of before Christ of the guy who's saying these things, my beloved and longed for brethren. No disrespect to the Lord and his handiwork, but when we put things in proper perspective and understand like how the Lord can do a mighty work in anybody and to understand that the Lord still does this mighty work. But the question is, remember, Paul is the one who says, it is no longer I who live. Remember, he says, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ in me. Whoa. You know, we put things in perspective here, and it's like, this is a different guy. He's not like, I mean, you picture the terror of imprisonment in this particular time period the terror of imprisonment the terror of being stoned the terror of being killed because you believe in jesus christ and the very one who has the authorization from the priesthood that the high priest to go and capture christians this very same guy Carnally speaking, because you look with eyes and it's like, wow, this is the same guy. You look with spiritual eyes, this is a different guy. He's not the same. And this is the one who is saying, my beloved and longed for brethren, to have this intense craving and yearning for brethren. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a yearning and intense craving for brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, we don't gather for as a social club. It's not like we gather to play cards. We gather to, you know, talk politics. We gather to talk shop and works and, 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 and you know, sports and uh, a different kind of, you know, job vocations and stock market and whatever. No, when we study and read the depths, about the depths of Ecclesia, Koinonia, Hagios, Episunagage, it's deep. It's holy. This closeness, this intimacy within the body of Christ to have this craving to be with, you know, the brothers and the sisters in the Lord as family. Not biological, but spiritual. Not the same blood biologically, but the same blood spiritually, the blood of Christ. And anytime you see therefore, like we see here in verse 1, 99% of the time, it's loaded. Because you read Philippians 1, 2, 3, and then all of a sudden, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, whoa, that's loaded. I mean, listen to our studies through Philippians 1, 2, 3. You'll understand. It's loaded. And when we put things in perspective of who this guy used to be, no disrespect to say this guy because it's Paul. 
and the Lord has done a, a, a mighty work in him. But then at the same, and not to deify Paul, but to exalt Christ in Paul and understand that he's in prison. He's in very short order time period. He's going to die, going to be beheaded. The cost of being a Christian is very heavy for the saints in Philippi. You have the religious leaders who are coming against them. You have Rome that is coming against them. Where do they go? The cost of being a Christian here is very high. Let's put things in perspective and keep things in proper perspective. And this former persecutor and prisoner and killer of Christians says, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. You know, a lot of times people think that there are multiple crowns in heaven. I don't think so. I think when we see like, you know, different, you know, crowns that are mentioned in the Bibles, what if it's just attributes of the same crown? That's just me. A lot of times people say, well, there's the crown of this, the crown of that, the crown of this, the crown of that. And look, there's all these different crowns in heaven. But I don't think that way. What if it's just attributes of the same crown? And Paul says, of the saints, who he once at one period in his life, well, you know, a stretch of time, imprisoned, had beaten and killed. He says, you guys are my beloved. I long for you. I intensely crave and yearn to be with you. You, saints are my joy and my crown. You see? That's... That's... That's unlike any phraseology we see among a lot of leaders in the church today. And remember, Paul says of little Timmy in our study in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 20, or chapter 2, verse... 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, remember, in Paul's sphere of, you know, where he operated, so to speak, or where the Lord had him and where the Lord took him, and in that sphere, in that bubble, in that environment, the number of Christians, the number of saints, and among them, there is no one like-minded like Timothy who will sincerely care for your state. Paul's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. Little Timmy, he's not like the average bear. Why? Because look who was, you know, he was under the wing of Paul. He says in verse 20, well, this is chapter 2. Verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And that's what he says of little Timmy. And in very short order, little Timmy is going to be Pastor Timmy. It's beautiful. The next generation of leadership. And so when we understand that and understand that Paul, he's in prison for the gospel. He's going to die for the gospel. 
He speaks of these saints. You guys are my beloved, my longed for, my crave, my, my, I intensely crave and yearn to be with you. And you're my joy and my crown. And he says to them in verse 1, chapter 4, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved, to be immovable. It's a military term. So stand fast to be immovable in the Lord, beloved. I implore in verse 2, I implore Yodia. This is females. Iodia and I implore Sintiki. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but you know, Iodia and Sintiki. I implore Iodia and I implore Iodia and I implore Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, was there a little division between the two? I don't think so. Was there a little confusion, a little division between the two? Me personally, I don't think so. Because when you see the the teachers in Philippians, and you don't you don't necessarily see them per se. Remember, they're addressed the only letter that includes teachers uh, and and pastors and overseers is Philippians. The other ones, the like First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, you don't see like you know greetings to the saints in in Galatia uh, together with the teachers and the overseers. You don't see that. Why? Because Paul knew there was some defunctness there. You see, look at Corinth. You know, where were, you know, how many times did you hear us say, where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? I don't think there was a, a, a carnal division between these two gals in verse two. But maybe this is an encouragement to, to join together in the capacity of this ministry that Paul is speaking of here. To implore these two sisters in Christ to be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, maybe one was in ministry one, the other was in ministry two, and Paul's saying, look, do it together. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And the only reason why I say I don't think there was, you, you, you remember how, like Paul says in Corinth to the Corinthian saints, be of the same mind. But then when you look at the division that was there, it's like, well, you know, you, you're still carnal. When Paul says, you know, I wish I could speak as to adults, but I got to speak like the babies because, you know, when I met you, when I was with you, you guys were on milk and three years later, you're still on milk. And so he speaks of divisions to be of the same mind, to be unified in Christ. But it's like, wait a second, there's some carnality there. And he says that to the remnant, that the separation has already happened. That's a referencing our study through First Corinthians. But you don't see that in Philippians. So when, when he says, you know, be of the same mind, I just don't see the, 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 the carnal divisions like we see in Corinth. And he says in verse 3, And I urge you also, true companion. Now, this is to be a yoke fellow, to be, you know, a, a, a yoke fellow, a, a work unto the Lord. But when he says, I urge you and true companion, these are words that have specific singularity. Is he speaking about one person? Perhaps. Or is he speaking about one body? I love that. I love this ambiguity because it could be one person or it could be 
a group of saints, but are one in Christ. In verse 3, he says, I urge you, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now, this is another reason why in verse 2, the Eodia uh, uh, and Syntyche, I don't see the carnal divisions like we see in Corinth, just because th- these are women in ministry. In verse 3, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now, men, my brothers in Christ whom I love, if you have a mindset that females have to take a back seat, you need to repent. If you have a mindset that females cannot partake and be co-laborers and yoke fellows in the ministry, you need to repent. That is the wrong mentality to have. It is not of Christ. Because in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. We're all one in Christ. But then understand, for specifically, pastors and elders, always male. Pastors, elders, always male. Outside of that, you know, you have, you know, deacons and deaconesses, women who can serve in capacities in ministry like we see with Lydia, beautiful, beautiful sisters in Christ and service unto the Lord and unto the Lord. And Paul is saying, help these women who labored with me. You see? who labored with me they they were uh, co they were yoke fellows and co-laborers with Paul in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers these are all co-laborers is how it translates companions and helpers whose names are in the book of life whoa whose names are in the book of life now there's a certain level of confidence when we consider circumcision. And I'm not talking according to the flesh. But there's a certain level of confidence with circumcision. Do you, remember, you could have a whole lineup of Christians, say a hundred Christians, a lineup of Christians. And they're all, you know, like, you know, just a long line of Christians. And based on the fruit, based on the works of the Spirit, based on their uh, uh, obedience unto the Lord, you can see the circumcision. And I'm speak spiritually when I say this. I don't. I don't speak carnal. Male, female, it doesn't matter. But you know, okay, that guy is circumcised. This gal is circumcised. Not speaking according to the flesh. There's just something different about them. And perhaps I pray you know exactly what I'm talking about. Have you ever been with a group of Christians and you're with Christians, but you feel like a fish out of water? I mean, you're with Christians and, you know, they might say something about the Lord. They might say something about referencing a Bible study. They might, but then they also start talking about their, their drugs and their sex and partying and, you know, all these different things of the flesh. And it's like, you know, that you're they're Christian. They proclaim to be Christians and, you know, saints. But then comes the question, okay, now what grade is everybody in? I meant you're, you're sitting down. Say you're at a table and there's 10 believers there around this table and it's just, you know, fellowship. And everybody says, oh yeah, fellowship of the saints. It's beautiful. And it's absolutely beautiful. But with maturity, 
You make these distinctions. As people speak, you see not just what they say, and but when words come out of the mouth, understand that it's the outpouring of their heart, as our Lord indicates, as our Lord says. Remember, people were like, oh, you know, how can this guy eat this? And how can this guy eat this? And the Lord says, Jesus Christ, he says, you know, it's not what goes into a man that makes it, that defiles a man, but what comes out because it's the outpouring of the heart. And so you're sitting at a table, maybe not 10, say five, a little little smaller, say five. And then people start speaking. Oh, yeah, my wife this, and she doesn't know about this, and, you know, and oh, yeah, say you're, you're a guy and you're with a group of guys. And then they start talking, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with my brother last night, I was hanging out with my friends last night, and we went to the bar and did all this, and yeah, we got smashed and this and that, and and you're sitting there and you're listening, and it's like, okay, now, you have these little indicators, okay, this guy's a first grader. This guy's a preschooler. He believes in Jesus Christ, but he's like a 1 Corinthians 3 type. He's still on milk. He believes in Jesus Christ. And then you find out, you know, he's, he's a brand new believer. He became a Christian two months ago. So he doesn't have this understanding of how to grow and mature in Christ. Say you're female and you're with, you know, five other females. And you're sitting there. And then, you know, oh, yeah, my husband did this. My husband said that. And then they start, you know, dropping curse words. And then the other person says, oh, yeah, you know, it was ladies night at the club. And I went with my girlfriends and we did this. And look, I'll show you the pictures they got on their phone. Look, I'll show you the pictures. And then this gal, she you, she says that you ask her, you know, how long you've been a Christian? She says, oh, I've been, I came to the Lord 20 years ago. There's a problem with that. The situation with the guy, he was a Christian too. He became a Christian two months ago. He doesn't have this understanding and, and maturity. And it's, under, it's okay, he's a preschooler in Christ. And he needs to grow and mature. But then for this gal... You know, she's showing you her, 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 her phone, her pictures on her phone. Like, look, I, look, this is me when I was drunk. This is me when I did this. And, you know, oh, don't mind this over here. And, and you're, you're grossed out. And she says she's been a Christian for 20 years. Now something different. Now you're looking at leaven. You're not looking at a preschooler. You're looking at leaven. You see, it's very important to make these distinctions. Pastors, make these distinctions. Elders, make these distinctions. Because if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, male, not female, if you're pastor or elder, you have a responsibility to make these distinctions because you know, or you should know, a little leaven leavens the bunch. And I have to say, if you're listening for the first time, you may be like, whoa, you're like, what is I thought this was going to be like, a, a you know, I, I want to feel good about myself. Well, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. Philippians, the church in Philippi, very mature, very mature. Their, their 13 years have been growing in the Lord. In the case of 1 Corinthians, they were three years of no growth in the Lord. They came to the Lord, 
when you listen to our study, we, we outline the verses, we make the references, but they came to the Lord and for three years, they believed in Jesus Christ, but for three years, they did not grow. Now, you have to make these distinctions. I, I, I say it specifically for pastors and elders because you have to protect the flock and keep the, the house of God clean. But then at the same time, for non-pastors, non-elders, you still have to make the distinction because I want you to mature in Christ. Move on to perfection. You see? It's one thing if you, you know, have these carnal attributes, these, these works of the flesh, and you're a baby. Because we grow and mature in Christ. And then all of a sudden, you know, people say, oh, you can, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's impossible to be sinless. Yes, it's impossible to be sinless, but we can sin less and less and less and less as we grow, as we mature. So you're male at a table of other males at a Christian's men's fellowship. And you just listen to the men speak. And when you have this understanding of growth and maturity in Christ, then you know, okay, you listen to, say it's a big table, 10 guys. You know, okay, this guy's a preschooler. This guy's, you know, a kindergartner. Okay, this guy's first grade. Very rarely will you see the Philippian type, even among pastors and elders. Very rarely will you see the Philippian type. But when you have this understanding of maturing in Christ, you'll know by what they say and the, the fruit, what you know, their their homes, their their lifestyle, their their choices in life, their vices, how they speak, you'll know, you'll see. Just in the fruit. And you'll know, okay, this guy's preschool, this guy's kindergartner. And when you address preschoolers and kindergartners, now, it's just like in a carnal sense, in the, the, the world testifies of these things. Now, if you're a, a preschool teacher, you're not going to give calculus to the preschoolers. You're not going to teach calculus to the preschoolers. You would be the one who's dumb, idiotes, where we get the word idiot from. No, you, you know, let's play with these blocks. You know, here's how you spell uh, cat. Here's how you spell dog. Here's how you count one, two, three. And it's sad because some Christians, they're babies and they stay babies. That's, that's the fault of the pastor. Some pastors, now, understand that some pastors and teachers are wolves. Wolves. Listen to our study through Acts 20. It's very important to understand these things because these days are wicked. These days are evil. And among these wolves, and they present themselves as servants of the Lord, but they're really servants of Satan. And they like Christians to be on milk. They enjoy Christians to be on milk. Why? Because they're needed. Have you ever, have you ever seen a parent like that? A parent who has like a, a, a two-year-old and a parent who's rightfully so parenting. But then a parent who has a 20-year-old and treating the 20-year-old like he's two years old, they like to be needed. Mommy likes to stay mommy. Or a 30-year-old who's treated like a two-year-old, you see, mommy likes to stay mommy. And you see that. 
But you also, which is dangerous, don't do that. If that's you, if you're a mother and that's you, repent. You know, you train up your child in the ways they should go, where he or she should go, age 18, 19. If you're liberal, maybe, you know, 22 max, you know, hey, cut the umbilical cord. You know, your kid doesn't want to get, you know, fly, you know, fly away like birds do, you know, here, get out of the nest, go spread your wings. A lot of parents get themselves in trouble and I see it mostly with mothers. They get in a lot of trouble because they're mommies to two-year-olds, which is beautiful. But to be mommies to 30-year-olds, disgusting. You see? Dependent child. 30 years old, dependent on mommy. 35 years old, dependent on mommy. 25 years old, dependent on mommy. 22 years old, dependent on mommy. You're hurting your child. You see? It's not good. And some pastors, wicked pastors, are exactly the same. They like to be needed. They like the flock to be on milk. Because church is a business. Because if Christians would mature and grow, the pastor wouldn't be needed. The pastor would be out of a job. If the, if the, if the saints would grow and mature, Look at the ministries that could happen. You know, a guy's going to be a pastor. A lady's going to be in this ministry. A lady's going to be in the whatever ministry. The Lord's going to call them here, there, wherever. But a lot of pastors like saints on milk. Now, milk is beautiful, but milk is for babies. Now, when I say a lot of pastors like that, that's when you get into like, you know, servants of Satan type. That's when you have to make these distinctions. Now, understand in a church... You're always going to have milk drinkers in a church. But those milk drinkers shouldn't stay on milk. They should grow and move on and, you know, be the meat eaters. But then as the Lord gives increase, you're going to have a nice fresh, like a a nice influx of new milk drinkers as people come to Christ. You see? And those, those former milk drinkers can now help those younger Christians. It's not the pastor doing everything. It's not the elder doing everything. And what do we see in the church today? The pastor and elders are doing everything. You see? It's, it's, that's what's so beautiful about when, when we read these epistles and when we read them like in, in grade levels. It's beautiful. And you're gonna, you know, that example, you know, you're at a table. You're going to know, okay, this guy's first grade, this guy's kindergartner, this guy's preschool. You're going to be at a, a table of females, you know, a, fem- a women's fellowship. Okay, this lady's preschool, this lady's first grade, this lady's second grade, this, you know, a kindergartner. And you're going to know, and you're going to know how to deal with that. You know, how, how long have you been a Christian? She says, oh, I've been a Christian for two weeks. Oh, praise be to the Lord. Now, you identified a, a preschooler, but a preschooler who's rightfully in preschooler, okay? This is how you spell cat. This is how you spell dog. This is how you do one, two, three, A, B, C. And then the preschooler is not going to be a preschooler anymore. They're going to be, you know, kindergartner. And then first grade, second, third, fourth, and moving on to perfection. But then somebody exhibits the uh, the fruits and the works of and, and the works that of a of a preschooler. How long have you been a Christian, sister? Oh, I've been a Christian for twenty years. Okay, now you're getting into leaven territory because somebody's on milk. 
and they're still on milk after 20 years. Now you look at the works of the flesh, you see all these things, and it's like, okay, that's now you're getting into leaven territory. You make these distinctions. But say you're at your table and with, with, with females, uh, women's fellowship, and you're like, okay, this, here's this lady over here. She's, she's like university level. And not just in knowledge. Knowledge is, you know, a gift of the spirit. As we, you know, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you'll know about the, the gifts of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And how he works, the Holy Spirit. And how he gives in these gifts. But you, you, you're at the table and you see everybody's in first grade, second grade. But there's this one gal. She's like, you know, university level. Observe the circumcision. And you know, like, wow, this lady is straight up circumcised. There's like no doubt. And it's not just in knowledge. Her love, her grace, her mercy, her countenance. Everything we read about in the Bible. Same thing with the table of guys. You know the table of guys? Okay, got a preschool over here, second grader over here, first grader over here. Now we're in Levin, Levin territory with these couple of guys over here. The, 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 the warnings have to be more stern with Levin. It meant, you know, we know what to do with Levin based on our study through First uh, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5. But we always leave the door open for grace and mercy. Once a person knows, okay, this pastor's not playing games, now the ball's in their court. They have a, they have a choice to make. Am I going to give up the, the strippers and the gambling and the pornography and the Buddhas and all these things? Or am I not going to? Okay, if I'm not going to, okay, pastor's going to kick me out. And if I do, then I can stay. You see, that's... That's how leaven is dealt with. We're going to get into pastoral epistles pretty soon. But that's what needs to happen. Because understand, there's, there's a remnant where it needs to be safe for the flock of God. You see? It needs to be safe for the flock of God so that they can have green waters or green pastures and still waters. It needs to be safe for them. The flock of God, so that they can grow, so that they can exercise these things. Remember how we see, like you know, uh, in in previous epistles, how beautiful it is to partake of these things of the Spirit and of the Word in obedience to the Word and in, in yielding to the Spirit. How beautiful it is to share in one another's burdens. But if the pastors and elders aren't doing their job to keep the to keep the green pastures and still waters and keep the house clean then you're going to be bearing burdens with the crackhead who's been a crackhead for 20 years. The sexhead who's been a sexhead for 20 years. Now, you know, 17-year-old daughter, she's not going to be able to bear in the burdens of the sexhead because now it's dangerous for her. You see? When you understand pastors and elders, they have responsibility to keep everything clean, to keep the house of God clean, that's a responsibility. We're going to get into the pastoral epistles. It's it's heavy duty. Let not many be teachers. 
I don't get it. Maybe it's the fluoride in the water. But a lot of people, oh, I want to be a pastor. I want to be an elder. I want to do this because I want to, I want to be a leader. Oh, look, I have a servant's heart. It's the Lord better call you to that. Because unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, it's going to fail. All the endeavors, all the efforts of man, it will fail. But how beautiful it is. So, I mean, we reflect back on 1 Corinthians 5, the, the, the separation from the leaven and the remnant. Now, when that remnant, for that remnant, do you see how safe it is now to bear one another's burdens? Because, you know, you don't have to worry about the, you know, the, the sex and the alcohol and the extortion and these influencers influencing the remnant. You don't have to worry about those things. Why? Because the pastor has done his job. Chloe and Paul have done their job. Female Chloe and male Paul have done their job. You see? How how beautiful it is. But we live in a time where Chloe and Paul are now the bad guys. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. We live in a time where Chloe and Paul are the bad guys. It's one of the signs of the last days. One of many signs of the last days. And so you see how when when uh, when when this this the, the example we gave at the at the table where it's like okay you have all these women here, but this gal is circumcised. The table of men you have all these men sitting down. This guy is circumcised. And I'm not speaking according to the flesh. If, if, you, if your mind goes off in the flesh, repent. Don't let your mind go into crazy town. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Bring every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. Don't let your mind go off into crazy town. And with these particular individuals, this female at the at the table of women and she's university level everything with the knowledge the grace the love remember love is the greatest gift knowledge is a gift it's not the greatest gift at the table of men you have you know this guy who's university level not the first grader not the preschooler there's a certain amount of Confidence with that level of circumcision. Jello hearts. And we see Paul speak differently to the saints in Philippi. Just like we see at the end of verse 3. The rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In that bubble of Paul. Paul knows, you know, these aren't preschoolers. These aren't first graders and second graders. Not to say that preschoolers are bad, but preschoolers need to go to, you know, you don't see preschoolers doing open heart surgery. They have to grow. They have to mature. They have to have this understanding. University level, they're, you know, the calculus, statistics, but in, 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 in preschool, they're learning one, two, three. How much more when it comes to our faith to grow and mature? 
And that's what I mean when we say these, this confidence in the circumcision. Whose names are in the book of life. Do you know any Christians like that? You might know exactly what I'm talking about. Now you might be wondering like, wow, you know, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> and you know, if you're preschool, rejoice. Rejoice. I mean, praise be to the Lord. You're in preschool. But then now comes kindergarten, first grade, second, third. Now we mature. Now, if you're university level, it's not that, oh, look, I'm awesome. Look how awesome I have all this knowledge and look how awesome I am. No. Don't forget humility. You lack humility if that's the case. Most people who are university level, you'll never know it. <laughs> you'll never know it until they speak. You'll know it by, by seeing the fruit of the spirit or the, or, uh, when they speak, they have like this knowledge. Uh, but when you hear somebody boast and like, Oh, I'm university level. Oh, I have all this knowledge. That's just the opposite. That's like, that's indicative of them being in preschool because the ones who are really university level, they don't boast about it. You just, wow, this guy's. This guy's of the circumcision. This lady's of the circumcision. These hearts are like super jello. The softest jello. You see? Not pine. Not maple. No, it's soft jello. Soft before the Lord. And we see here in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice! Exclamation point. I love this so much. It's to have this fullness of joy. Remember, you know, he, he, we even see repetition here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. You think, okay, Paul, we get it. Rejoice in the Lord. But he says, again, I say rejoice, exclamation point. Remember what we looked at last week? You know, repetition is good. In verse 1, chapter 3, he says, for, re, for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. There's safety behind certain levels of repetition, 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 repetition. And we see it again with this rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice exclamation point. Chapter 4 verse 4. See, you're in preschool, rejoice. You're in preschool because you know you're a brand new believer, rejoice. You're in preschool because you've been a Christian for 20 years. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Be honest. Don't lie. You can fake it with people. You can never fake it with the Lord. He knows. If you're a Christian, I say rejoice. And I do rejoice. And we rejoice. But if you're a baby Christian, and you've been a baby Christian for 20 years, you need to repent. You see? Because the reason... The reason why babies stay babies, it's because of the flesh. The things which so easily ensnare are the things which are not given up. Remember, we reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. That's what happens when a person is crucified with Christ. When a person is no longer living, but it is Christ living in them. If you're a preschooler, but you've been a Christian for 20 years, 
That's when we're getting into leaven territory. If you're a preschooler and you've been a baby for five years, that's also leaven territory. And I'll just mirror Corinth. If you're a preschooler Christian, you're a believer, baby believer, and you've been in that state for three years, that's also leaven territory. You see? And just like we study, it just so happens we study this on Wednesday. Remember? With, with Miriam's state of uncleanness in our study through Deuteronomy and our reference to numbers. In Miriam's state of leaven, her state of leprosy, what happened to the assembly? They couldn't move forward. Same thing in a church. When you have this state of uncleanness, there's no moving on and maturing in Christ. The Lord gives us the blueprints. We have the blueprints. Genesis to Revelation. He teaches us. He shows us. So why is it we don't see this? I mean, you see it in some fellowships. Not the big ones. Why is it that we don't see this today? One of many signs of the last days. You're a preschooler? Rejoice. And move on to kindergarten. Your kindergartner, rejoice. And move on to first grade. Your first grader, rejoice. And move on to second grade. And so forth. We move on to perfection. Now, the Lord's never going to be done with you. I mean, when he's done with you, you're going to be dead. You see? We can sin less and less and less. So many Christians. And in my experience, I don't know if this is the case with you, but in my experience, when I hear Christians say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace and we all sin and we're saved by grace. Yes, it's absolutely true that we all sin. But don't forget that we can sin less and less and less. The ones who lean on that, in my experience, those are usually the Preschoolers, kindergartners, and first graders. People who haven't reckoned the old man dead. People who haven't reckoned the old woman dead. They don't like to carry a cross. That's just in my experience. You know, it's not to say that being a baby is bad. It can be bad. It's actually quite beautiful. Just like the natural world testifies. You see a, a beautiful baby. It's, it's beautiful. But when you see a 20-year-old in diapers and a 20-year-old with a little binky bottle and a little binky in the bottle and all these, you know, it's gross. It's not just gross. It's dangerous to be a baby. In these last days, it's dangerous to be a baby because Satan knows it. And don't forget, four categories of the last day's church. True, apostate, Entering apostasy or it is false. So it's four categories. False, the false church, apostate church, the church entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four categories of last day's church. You get to choose. 
You get to choose. But when you're a Berean and we study the word of God and you're a Berean and you understand the word of God, you'll know. You'll, you'll, you, you could be brand new in a church. You'll see female pastor walk out. You say, okay, I'm out. It's not the right formula. You see? Where you see male pastor walk out and then all of a sudden spew these doctrines of devils. Oh, let's go grave soaking. Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Okay, I'm out. You see? It's it's easy. It's easy. But we have to be Bereans. And so we see here in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the church is in trouble, my friends. Let your gentleness be known to all men. This translates as for gentleness. It's yes, gentleness, patience, faintness, weakness. It's to yield and give place to weakness. And the Bible here says in verse 5, let that be known to all men, your weakness, and you yielding us, yielding, giving place to weakness. Let that be made known to all men. Now, question I have. Where do we see this today? Among saints, in the church, where do we see this today? Today in the church, you see Christians, oh, we got to fight. I teach from America, just so you know. But you see this uprising in the church. Oh, we got to fight for our rights. And this is a travesty and this and that and government, you know, overreach and this and that. And all oh, these politicians are doing this. These politicians are doing that. And how dare you can't mandate on this at me. I'm going to, you know, if we have to go back to, you know, 1775. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to do it. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll do this. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to do this and that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you see gentleness? Do you see weakness? I know that's... It's contrary to the flesh. But the flesh is contrary to the word. Don't forget, the two are at enmity. The flesh and spirit, the two are at enmity with one another. The flesh is contrary to the spirit. The spirit is contrary to the flesh. The flesh is also contrary to the word. You see the rise of the flesh in these last days. Another sign of the last days. I'm talking about in, in the church, saints. Where do you see this? Let your gentleness be known to all men in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Remember, in the case of Philippi, all the churches, the cost of being a Christian, when this letter was written, don't forget, Paul's in jail. In a couple years, he's going to be have his head cut off. Christians were the saints, the Philippian saints. Terrible. It, tribulation on every corner. You get captured. I mean, the, the religious leaders, they hate you. The Romans, they hate you. Both want you dead. The cost of being a Christian was very heavy. Caught by a Roman. You have a choice. Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live. But you say Jesus is Lord, you're going to die. 
If you're female, you're also going to die, but it's several other things are going to happen prior to that. Rape, gang rape. They would put kids, same thing, rapes. The cost of being a Christian was hardcore, heavy. Being eaten by animals put you in the arena for games, being eaten by bears and lions. That's what they did to the early church Christians. You know, it kind of blows me away because, you know, people say, oh, yeah, look, the Lord saved, the Lord saved Daniel from the lion. Yes, absolutely. The Lord did save Daniel from the lion, the lion's den, multiple lions. Yes, absolutely. The Lord did save. So therefore, he's going to save me from the lions. Well, don't forget that lions ate Christians. Don't forget. You see, we have to be wise. For Today, today, if the church today lived in, and I teach from America, you might experience this already. The church today, where you're listening, where you're listening, you, you know, a table, a chair, a couch, a, a, a bench, a log, I don't know. But where you're listening, just say, for example, you have religious leaders that want you dead. And it's dangerous to be seen in the public square. Because the religious leaders want you dead. Because they've seen your face. They know you attend a a, a fellowship. They know you're a Christian. And the religious leaders want you dead. That's among the religious leaders. Now say the the leaders of the town. the, 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 The politicians and the police and the military. They also want you dead. Because you don't believe that Caesar is Lord. Or whoever is the governor, you don't believe that. Or whoever is the head of the state, you don't believe that he is God. And they also want you dead. And there you are sitting on the park bench. Number one, that would be dangerous. <laughs> and there you are sitting in, in your on your couch, in your, in your chair, on your stool, and on whatever. And you're listening. And you have religious leaders that want you dead. You have political leaders that want you dead. You have police that want you dead. You have military that want you dead. Why? Because you believe in Jesus Christ and you will not deny Jesus Christ. And then the person who you recognize as your pastor says this to you. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Do you see how it flies in the face? This counsel, this verse, it flies in the face of the carnal nature. Because the things of the Spirit are at enmity with the things of the flesh. The flesh would say, okay, we got to gather together. We got to rally. We got to get our weapons and we got to fight. Let's go on offense. Where does the Bible say that? The Bible does say go on offense, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of this world. There you are sitting on a park bench 
which when you have the religious leaders, the political leaders, the, you know, uh, firefighters, the everybody, the police, military, all these, that, that's just, that's just the, the political leaders and the religious leaders and those in, 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 in their, uh, sphere of control. What about society? Who's in line with that? And there you are sitting on a park bench. And then the person you recognize as your pastor says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, if you're a preschooler, and let's be honest with ourselves, if you're a preschooler, first grade, second grade, almost impossible to accept. Almost impossible to accept because that's the flesh. Let my gentleness be known to all men. Let my my weakness be known to all men. Giving yield to weakness, let that be known to all men. When these guys want to kill me, no, they want to kill me. I'm going to kill them first. That's carnality. That's carnal thinking. That's the ways of the flesh. You see? But once you get into like fourth grade, fifth grade, even moving on to university level, and I'm speaking according to the Spirit, maturity in Christ. The most mature Christians I know, they all, every single one of the mature Christians that I know, male, female, which aren't many, I say the, the, all, not, not the majority, but all the mature Christians I know, you might think like, whoa, is he talking about a hundred? Is that, no, I'm like five. <laughs> every single one of them can't wait to die. Every single one of the mature Christians that I know, they cannot wait to die. A doctor tells them you got two months to live. They, they're happy. They're rejoicing. Somebody says, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to rob them. I'm going to blow your brains out. They're like, okay, God loves you. And, you know, they stick their head out. <laughs> Here, make sure your finger is like on the trigger here. You know, <laughs> every 100% of the mature Christians I know cannot wait to die. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Even that alone, it's so, it's so contrary to the flesh. But we don't walk according to the flesh. We walk by faith, not by sight. Where do you see this? Let your gentleness be Known to all men. Where do you see this? Very few. And remember, the cost of being a Philippian saint. You might think like, you you know, I teach from America. And, you know, we're losing our freedoms more and more. Western culture, we're losing our freedoms more and more. But you might be listening in a region where the cost of being a Christian is very heavy. Very heavy. Like, straight up life and death. 
according to the flesh. And these words might be like music to your soul as you let your gentleness be known to all men. He says in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. You see? Trouble is near. Trial is near. Tribulation is near. It could be the case. In the last days, it will be the case. Absolutely, it will be the case. But more near is Jesus. Remember the red letters in the book of Acts? When all the, 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 the uh, apostles, the apostles that were with Paul, and, and the, there were uh, the prophets and prophetesses that were with them, I mean, biblical ones, not like you see the crazy people today on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. I'm talking about the real ones in the Bible. And they were with Paul, and they were saying, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And where do you see the red letters? With Paul. Giving him comfort. Paul's in jail in Jerusalem. Where do you see the red letters? With Paul. You see? Not to suggest that the Lord wasn't with the others. But there's something different about Paul. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. People might call you weak. Who cares? Oh, you're so weak. You're so weak. For me personally, when I hear people say that, oh, you're so weak. Look, aren't you going to fight back? You're so weak. I rejoice in that. Because what they don't know is the level of violence of my old nature, my carnal nature. And me, like, not even five seconds ready to do violence. Not even three seconds ready to do violence. Just, you know, threat is there, boom, threat is gone. When I hear people say, oh, you're such a weak, you're such a weakling, you're this, and aren't you going to fight for this? Aren't you going to fight for your rights? Aren't you going to fight for... What rights? What, what rights does a dead guy have? What rights does a dead gal have? Oh, you're wronged. You're wronged here. You're wronged there. You see? The Lord is our shepherd. I fully realize that this is so abrasive. The things that I say, I fully realize and acknowledge and recognize that they are very abrasive. Because the carnal mind desires certain things according to the flesh. The flesh desires certain things according to the flesh. But we're of the Spirit. You can know, you know, the little barometer. You can know your, 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 uh, I guess, grade level, your maturity level in Christ by the flesh. In that regard, the flesh can help you. 
You know, the more flesh you see, the more carnal nature you see, you see, okay, maybe that's first grade, maybe preschool, maybe kindergarten, maybe first grade. But the less flesh you see, that's like, we're moving on to perfection. And when you look forward to dying, that's a good sign. <laughs> when you look forward, remember, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember Paul says, you know, you know, it, it's good that I remain for you guys, but you know, if the Lord wants to call me, you know, if the Lord, he says, I, I better not go further. I better not expound on this because, you know, it, death has no sting for the Christian. Death has no sting. It's our doorway into paradise. Your last breath in these earth suits of ours is going to be your first breath in eternity with the Lord in paradise. Now, that's a promise only to believers. Only to believers. It's not to the Buddhists. It's not to the atheists. It's only to believers in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. God loves you. God loves you. You repent. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back and listen and we grow together. We move on to perfection together. Now, if you're listening for the first time, these words that we say, it sounds crazy. I understand it sounds crazy. But you have to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, all of it, and then get yourself caught up to here because you'll understand way more. And then I hope you understand way more to the point where you're moving on to perfection. You see? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. I can't. I can't stress enough the hardships that the Philippian saints endured by the hand of the religious leaders and the, the, the Romans. And, you know, sometimes I say, you know, about the, the rapes and the killing and being eaten by bears and, you know, the gang rapes, what they used to do to the men and, and beat them up and uh, tie them down or hold them down and make them watch their families being ravaged by you know, a group of men. How they would skin Christians. Have contests for their skin. You know, the longest strip. And not like, you know, a little, 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 little paper thin piece of skin. I'm talking about like straight up orange peel. From the head down to the toe. And whoever had the longest piece of skin would win rewards. That's what they did to Christians. Fed to animals. You go to the marketplace and you go to the marketplace and like, you know, the, the town lights, they were burning Christians. Christians on poles. And Paul has the audacity. Paul has the audacity to say, let your gentleness be made known to all men. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, Paul is the one who says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Jesus is the one who says, remember, when they hate you, remember that they hated me first. In that environment of the Philippian saints, he says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. And of course, we can look at anxieties. We can look at the worry and the unease and the nervousness that is caused by, by anxiety. But this is anxiety that is led to distraction. I mean, say for example, you and me are walking on the path. You and me are walking on a path and you say, Oh, I forgot, uh, um, I forgot, um, uh, 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 our, our, our bag of food. I left it, I left it back at the, the camp. I left it back at the house. I left it back over here. Let me go back and get it. And then right along the way, there's a little hot dog stand. Now let, let's not go back. Look, we got a hot dog stand right here. Let's get a couple hot dogs, have a couple sodas, some chips. And let's move on. Let's continue going forward. No distractions. No distractions to the point where let's go backwards. We need food, okay? Look, look, the hot dog stands right here. Let's get some hot dogs. We have our hot dogs, you know, nice little fellowship. We pray and we continue going forward. And that's more how this word, you know, when we get into anxieties, understand that there are certain functions of the body, certain functions, the neurotransmitters and all these things. And instead of going to the Lord, people go to the doctors and the doctors prescribe these medications and they got all these, you know, inhibitors and this and, you know, nerve inhibitors and all these different drugs. And then, you know, people take drug after drug after drug after drug. And that finally you get a bunch of zombies. Look at people who take their antidepressants and their anxiety pills. They're like zombies. Veterans, you might be a veteran. And you feel like a fish out of water in the civilian world. Because the brotherhood is, is gone. And you can't cope. But there's another brotherhood. Shoulder to shoulder with guys in your squad, guys in your platoon, guys in your fire team that intimacy is gone and I speak carnally when I say that because you know for veterans I've had these conversations with veterans who want to blow their brains out because this brotherhood is gone But there's a brotherhood, according to Christ, according to the Spirit, that is far deeper. And I tell you from experience. For the yellow footprint, yellow footprint guys, you know, <laughs> closer than A to B, <laughs> closer than A to, A to B, you see. It's of the Spirit. Just like we see here in verse 1. My beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. 
veterans who go to the VA hospital, I can't cope, I can't cope. And the doctor says, okay, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, we'll give you this. Finally, you're taking a cocktail of drugs. Little zombies. There's a better way, my friend. There's a better way, my brother. There's a better way, my sister. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus, the Messiah. And God loves you. When we see in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, a lot of times people who have these anxiety issues. And it is true that we have, I mean, remember our study in the book of Acts, even Paul had anxiety about certain things, anxiety about going to Jerusalem, but yet the Spirit gave him comfort, saying that chains and tribulations await him. And even Paul had this level of anxiety. And you don't see Paul running to Dr. Luke. Hey, Dr. Luke, give me some drugs. But he goes to the Lord. And everything, go to the Lord. You're depressed, go to the Lord. Anxiety, go to the Lord. I tell you from experience. Because I used to drown my worries away from the bottle. Or in the bottle and through the bottle. But the Lord healed me. This anxiety that is spoken here in verse 6 is to be led. It's it, it, it's a distractive like the example we gave, you know, oh, I forgot lunch. You know, let me go back to the house. Let's go back to the house. And let's get, no, we're going from point A to B and we're almost at, at B and we're not going back to A. Look, there's a hot dog stand right here. We're just going to eat hot dogs. Soda, chips, the whole nine yards. And we're going to continue going forward. No distractions. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer translates as earnest prayer and supplication. Making supplication is a petition and prayer request. With thanksgiving. To have gratefulness unto the Lord. To be grateful unto the Lord. Remember a couple chapters ago or a couple books ago when we speak about having, having a thankful heart unto the Lord? You know, if, if you have problems saying, problems saying thank you to another, work on that. <laughs> work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. People who don't like saying thank you. That's a big deal. Because you have a problem saying thank you, what about to the Lord? Having a thankful heart, it helps our hearts stay nice and soft, nice like jello. Thankfulness unto the Lord. Grateful unto Him. He says in verse 6, Let your request be made, made known to God. You see? Look what we see here in verse 7. And the peace of God. The peace of God. Now, it, it translates as prosperity, but it's not prosperity like you see on, on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly Live, the prosperity gospel. This is prosperity, biblical prosperity, but it's peace and rest and quietness. People think of prosperous as money. No. Don't think of prosperity as money. Think of prosperity as 
whatever God wants for you. Think of it as peace, as rest, as quietness. In verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It excels beyond intellect and logic. That is how it translates. Will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ or through Christ Jesus. Now, this is a military term. Will guard your hearts and minds. Not it might. Not maybe. Straight up, it will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, you not only see how God is active. Now, this is the Lord who will guard hearts and minds. This isn't us being in a defensive position, uh, you know, where we have our shields up. I mean, we absolutely have our shields up. But I mean, this isn't like, you know, us having like, you know, making contact in a defensive posture. This is straight up the Lord who guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In all of Paul's letters, all of Paul's letters, there's references to peace. But this is the only time that this peace has definitive action from the Lord. In other books, he said, you know, may the, may the, may the peace of Lord be with you. May the Lord, uh, 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 bless you with this peace. And, you know, may the, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to just say like, oh, yeah, this and that. Not, not like, not like trying to minimize. But in all references to peace, it's always, in all of Paul's letters, may, may God's peace guide you. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Now, from the saints perspective, the receiver's perspective, you know, there's obedience required behind that. But to the saints in Philippi, this is the only time the peace of God has definitive action. When to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's the only time in all of Paul's letters that there is definitive action from the Lord. Said unto saints. Now, picture this. It's not... Remember, our, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Or 1 Corinthians, all of it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is identified with disgust that there is a, a, a person, a guy in the church who's having sex with his dad's wife. So let's take this guy. A guy in the church who's having sex with his dad's wife inside the church, not in, not outside the church. Paul even says, look, this, there's such things that is not even named among non-believers, not even the Gentile, not even the the non-believers do this. They don't even do this. 
but yet it, it's happening inside inside the church in Corinth. Now, say for example, the church in Corinth, pre-separation, pre-separation of leaven. A guy who's, you know, that's just the, the sex. But there's other people who are sexually active with other kinds of different, you know, the, I'm not, I'm not minimizing those. But then you also have the drugs, the, the alcohol, the extortion, all these works of the flesh. Remember, the leaven hasn't happened. And then picture Paul saying to them, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. Now, is this verse applicable? Let's, let's target this one particular individual. The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, which is grotesque. I hate to say it, but it's in the Bible. Good, the bad, the ugly in the Bible. A guy who is having sex with his dad's wife. Will the peace of peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Is it definitive for him that God's peace will guard his heart and mind? When you see where his heart and mind is. You see where his heart and mind and his body is, his flesh, his carnal nature. We have to be straight up. Let's be straight up with ourselves. Me with me and you with you and us with each other. Let's be straight up. A guy is having sex with his dad's wife and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm reliving those those moments of our study through through First Corinthians five, and I don't like it because of the flesh. Remember my love hate relationship with Corinth. I don't like it. And of this individual, Paul says, you know, just so you know, before we before we assume, if you're listening for the first time, before we assume that that was okay with the Lord, that the Lord was kosher with that, that it was kosher before the Lord, don't think that. Because Paul says, take that brother and kick him out. Commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's what Paul says of a guy who's inside the church. He's having sex with his dad's wife. You know where his heart is. You know where his mind is. You also know where his body is. Can it be definitive for this particular individual, this man? Let's forget about the woman. Let's forget about the drugs and the sex, the other drugs, the, the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, all the works of the flesh that were happening in Corinth. Let's just look at this one individual who's having sex with his dad's wife. Can it be said with definitive, definitive action that the Lord... God Almighty, our Father in heaven, will guard his heart and mind through his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we see where his mind is, where his heart is, where his body is, and I don't want to, I don't like it, I don't like, I don't like talking this way, I don't, I don't. But we have to have this understanding 
The flesh, the carnal nature, which is at enmity with the spirit. And the spirit is at enmity with the flesh. They war with each other. But to the Philippian saints, just like we see in verse 3, the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, there's confidence in the circumcision. Just like the, the table, you know, you're female, you have your ladies study and, you know, okay, Got a couple preschoolers here, first grader over here, second grader over here, but this lady. She's not just hardcore, she's like, you know, university level. She is circumcised. Her name is in the book of life. Men's fellowship, you know, okay, first grade over here, preschool over here. But this guy, he's university level. He is of the circumcision. Now, you take the two tables, the table of women, the table of guys. You take the university guy, the university lady, and you take all the university people. That's like straight up ministry. Those are, those are like, those are beautiful bubbles. That's like straight up Paul, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila. Lydia, Chloe, these are, these are beautiful people. Not to suggest that there's ugliness with the other people, but for them to enter ministry, it's dangerous because they're still babies. They're novices. You see? And with this confidence among the circumcision, Paul says to the saints in Philippi, you be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the, the peace, the rest, the quietness of God, which surpasses all understanding, which excels beyond intellect and logic, that peace from God our Father. And let's put things in perspective here. You know, the earth that you see, that you see like in, on posters, you know, you look up at the sky, you can see the moon. You, you look up at the sky, don't look too long, but you can see the sun. At night, you can see the stars. That's God the Father. He made those things. You see? You look at like the clouds. He controls. All, that's who we're talking about. The creator of all things. The peace that he gives. Remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I gave the exhortation to, you know, highlight it, write it down. How the Lord delights to show himself mighty and reveal himself through his vessels. The creator of all things. It's nighttime. You look up at the sky. You see the scar, the stars. The one who made those. Him. His peace. Which surpasses all 
intellect, all logic, not might guard your hearts. Straight up will guard your hearts. But he says it to the Philippian saints. It's the only time peace, the peace of God, has definitive action of will guarding, will guard. The only time. Of Corinth, he says, you know, may the peace of God. And yes, Paul can desire, yes, may the peace of God. And you know, it's beautiful. Like the peace of God is, is there, it's available. But is it applicable to the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife? No, Paul says, commit him to Satan. A guy is inside the church. Three years, arrested development. They, milk drinkers, they were babies. He's having sex with his dad's wife. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Defunct. Defunct pastors, defunct elders. You don't see Paul saying to the saints in Corinth along with the pastors, to the saints in Corinth along with the teachers and the elders. No, he just says to the saints in Corinth. Now, there might be pastors and elders in there. But I wonder what he thought about the pastors and elders. I don't think he was too enthused about them. I doubt he would even call them brothers. Maybe servants of Satan. To let these things happen. To be a pastor, to be an elder, and allow these things to happen, understanding that pastors and elders have a responsibility to keep the house of God clean. Now listen, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you know, or you should know, if you don't know, repent and step down, because you should know. If you're a pastor and you're an elder, and in keeping the house of God clean, you receive the, the, the treasury is at zero. So be it. So be it. You have 500 people in the church and you clean, you keep the house of God clean and all of a sudden the 500 people becomes 20 people. So be it. So be it. You got to live in a cardboard box. So be it. As if the Lord called you. But I know of pastors, many pastors, who are so concerned about their paycheck. They start to compel. Well, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll tithe here. Look, the Lord has put this on my heart and we're going to need a lot of money to do it. So you'll tithe here, you'll tithe there. And all of a sudden, the people start tithing. Because remember, Hebrews, you know, listen to, you know, obey those who rule over you. So they're doing what the Bible says, but the formula's got to be right. You see? If you're a pastor, elder, you keep the house clean. Keep the house of God clean. See? The carnal, the first graders, the preschoolers, they're not going to like you. 
They might be a preschooler, a first grader that likes you, but you know, it's they love the Lord, and then so they acknowledge, okay, you know, they acknowledge like a Hebrews, like, you know, I'm gonna obey those who rule over me. You see? So this guy says I shouldn't do crack. Okay, I'm done with the crack. This guy says I shouldn't do sex. Okay, I'm done with the sex. This guy says I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. Okay, I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. See? And then the preschooler becomes first grade, becomes second grade, becomes third grade, and moves on to perfection. But then you're going to have preschoolers and first graders. Oh, this this guy says I can't do sex. I can't do drugs. I can't do alcohol. I'm going to go over here across the street to this other church. And, you know, this guy's going to whisper in my ears and I can do whatever I want. And I'm not going to feel the conviction. I'm not going to feel this. Okay. I don't like it. But that's part and parcel of this spiritual warfare. A lot of casualties. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Really? We've studied. If you've been listening for a while, you you know where we stand on that. Once saved, always saved. Biblically is once saved, stay saved. Don't forget, there is a generation, there is a people who will say to the Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. The fact that they did it in, in the name of Jesus Christ. In, in the world, probably ministry leaders. We did all these things in your name. Probably, you know, prophesy, cast out demons. Probably ministry leaders were in the world. They were like, whoa, these, they're, they're, surely the Lord is with these guys. People would think, you know, whoa, the, surely, look, they cast out demons. Surely the Lord is with them. You know, they uh, uh, we, they did all these things in the name of the Lord. Surely the Lord is with them. But when these individuals are standing before the Lord, what does the Lord say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What about once saved, always saved? By then it'll be too late. Don't forget, names could go into the book of life. A person becomes a believer. And names can be blotted out of the book of life. That, that alone should settle the score right there. Names can enter, name, names can exit. You see? Names can be blotted out. If names can be blotted out, how could once saved, always saved be true? You see? I should say, since names can be blotted out. How can one saved always saved to be true? You see? And I don't say this to be... Oh, people say all the time, oh, you're so mean-spirited, you're so mean-spirited. I, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. And I say it from experience. If you go to church, the more carnal you are, you will, you will go to church, you're not going to feel good. If you have a, a, a pastor where the formula is right, and you're, the, the more carnal you are, you're not going to feel good about yourself. Because it's carnal, and your carnality, your flesh is at enmity with the things of God. Oh, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I used to go to church and feel like dirt. Feel like dirt. Then I finally started to listen to the pastor. I had a big problem with the pastor. I didn't like the things that he said. 
And so he says, okay, turn here. And then I actually opened my Bible. And I had my finger, you know, every time he would speak, I would follow on with my finger. He would stop and expound on something. I would hold my finger right on the pages. And then he'd say, okay, we're continuing to read. And then I'd follow along. And then I realized, whoa, my problem isn't with him. My problem was with the Lord. You see, and I felt like somebody who lit a fire under my seat. Like, I, you know, I was sweating. He'd talk about, you know, the alcohol, the sex, the drugs and all the, I was like, whoa, what? I never realized that, you know, this is, this is serious business. It's not just, you know, let's go to church. I want to feel good about myself. Let's just go to church and have a social club. Let me go to church and talk with my friends. No, I started to read the Bible and follow along with my finger. I'm like, whoa, the Lord doesn't like this? I'm in trouble. Keep reading. Oh my goodness, the Lord doesn't like this? I'm in trouble. I felt like I was on fire. And then I repented. Was cleansed by the Lord. And go to church and it's like, wow, I don't feel like I'm on fire anymore. Go to church, like, wow, this feels good. Go to church, like, well, this, this is like a blessing. You see? And people say, oh, I want to go to church and feel good about myself. Listen, the only way, if you go to church and you feel good about yourself, you, you're like about ready to die because, you know, you're like almost full completion. And full completion, you're going to be dead. There's always going to be moments when you read the Bible where it's like, Whoa, Lord, you know what? This isn't pleasing to you. Lord, forgive me. You see? And not just the steps of our hand, our feet and, the, and the, the works of our hands. That's the actual aftermath of what goes on in the mind. I mean, when you start repenting of things that are in your mind and in your heart, that's a good sign. I mean, if you have to repent like, you know, Lord, forgive me, you know, I knocked this guy's teeth out. It's good to repent, but you know, that's the actual, like, you, that you actually did it, you know, that you, that was actual the works of the hands. Lord, forgive me. I knocked this guy's teeth out. I mean, it's good to repent, you know, make sure you get right with the, the guy, you know, and you pay his dental bills and dental reconstructive surgery, whatever it is. You might want to, you know, tell him about the Lord, but it's going to be kind of awkward. But when you start repenting, Lord, forgive me because, man, I wanted to knock his teeth out. That's a good sign. Because number one, you haven't done it. Number two, it's you're giving it to the Lord. You're giving it to the Lord. And in your intimacy with him, what happens? I mean, sometimes he'll chastise you. And I tell you from experience. But he'll also bless you. Remember, the, the, you have two roads. One road is obedience. The other road is disobedience. The Lord responds to both. You choose to disobey, the Lord's going to respond. According to his word, he's going to respond. It's going to be a little tap-tap. In some cases, it's going to be a big tap-tap. In some cases, it's going to be a big boom-boom. But you obey the Lord, he's going to respond. And this definitive response that Paul, a vessel of the Lord who no longer lives, but it is Christ in him, 
This definitive response to the obedience of the Philippian saints. When they pray, he says in verse 7, remember, remember what the cost of being a Christian is in, for the Philippian saints. Just like the bench, the bench example where, you know, you're sitting on a bench. You got the religious leaders that want you dead. You got the political leaders that want you dead. You got the uh, police, military, firefighters, and all of society that's on board with culture. They all want you dead. The church has already taken casualties. You just happen to be one that's alive. And in verse 5, how crazy it, let your gentleness be made, be known to all men. But with obedience. Verse 7, not the peace of God which surpasses all understanding might guard. No. The one, the one who created the sun. I mean, look up at the sun, not to I mean sunglasses on, but don't, don't, don't do it too long. Like a second, millisecond. Just look up and boom. Okay, up, down. The one who created that, that also happens to light, you know, the source of light during the day. It's nighttime. You look up at the moon. You look up at the stars. All the ones who hate you. The one who their heart beats in their chest because of him. Birds. Their hearts beat because of him who takes care of the sparrows. The one who caused the sea to open and Israel to pass on dry ground. The one who causeth the the dead to live. The raising of Lazarus. The raising of our Lord. Him. <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> Him. With definitive action. The dead guy, Paul, who's no, who no longer lives but Christ in him. He's crucified with Christ. He says the peace of God, the peace, the rest, and the quietness of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. You see, he doesn't say that to the Corinthians. No, no, definitive action with the Corinthians. It's not to say that the Corinthians can't have it. But the the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, he can't have that. Blessings for obedience. The Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. We're going to study that in Deuteronomy. Blessings for obedience. Curses for disobedience. Same God. He never changes. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, a dead guy, he's dead, you know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not to say to say, hey, Corinth, you can't have this. It's to say, 
Corinth in your present state. I want this for you, but in your present state, it can't happen. So, identify the leaven. Those works according to the flesh, three years of rest of development. They want to have the sex. They want to do the drugs for three years and no repentance. And, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, 10,000 pastors, but you have one father. And he speaks of himself. And he speaks of his uh, birth canal. He doesn't have one. He's speaking spiritually. He speaks as to his children, his, his, his children. Yeah, you got all these teachers. You got all these pastors. You got all these elders. But you have one father. Remember of Timothy, Paul says, there is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. To say, Corinth, yes, I want you to have this peace of God which surpasses all understanding. But that can't happen with the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. That can't happen. That's just the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. What about the people who are having sex with, you know, their friends, their neighbors? What about the the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion? And Paul says, okay, identify these people. That is leaven. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. That's just a little leaven which leavens the bunch. In the case of Corinth, there was a lot of leaven. Now that the separation has happened, now you have a remnant of Corinth. Now the remnant can move on getting its way to Philippians chapter 4. Reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, carrying their cross, their instrument of death, being crucified with Christ, being in themselves they who no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And when that formula is right, you see this definitive action. Not the peace of God might guard. The peace of God, which is beyond, exceeds beyond all intellect and all logic. His peace, the one who created the stars, the moon, the heavens, the one who created all of it. His peace. will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have to be straight up. The more of a baby you are in Christ, the less this can be effectuated in you. And I don't say that to hurt your feelings. But the more of a baby you are, the less this can be effectuated. Because Philippi ain't Corinth. Philippi ain't Galatia. Beautiful teachers, beautiful pastors in Philippi. That's why the only letter where Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, translates as overseers and teachers. You see? I wonder what kind of ministry leaders the, what were produced in Philippi. I wonder. Probably some tough cookies, male and female. Ministry leaders. Now, pastors and elders, always male. Always, always male. Coverings, always male. We have to be straight up. 
If you're a baby in Christ, I love you. I, I don't say this thing. Oh, look, you know, the, the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your heart. That's not for you, baby. I, I don't want to come off that way. But when you see the babies in Corinth, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, inside the church, Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. Can this be true? Chloe's household, that's a different ballgame. A little remnant in Corinth. Pre-separation. It happens through maturity. Closeness, intimacy with the Lord. And if you're a baby... Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you. And I tell you from experience. Lay them aside. Something easily ensnares you? Whatever it is. The bottle. The drugs. The crack. The sex. The pornography. The strippers. The Buddha. Love of money. If it easily ensnares you, it's not worth it. You see? See how powerful this is? I mean, that environment, the example we gave, you're on the park bench and it's dangerous to be a Christian. Everybody wants you dead. But when you have the peace of God, in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that is guarding your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. What does the threat become? No threat. Look at Hebrews 13 really quick. Or 12. Actually, 11. <laughs> Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, in verse 33, speaking about the faithful, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made, out of weakness. Out of weakness, very interesting what we read in Philippians. Out of weakness, just like in, in, in Philippians says, let your gentleness be known to all men. In Philippians 4 verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Gentleness is, pa gentleness of course, but patience, faintness, weakness, and yielding and giving place to weakness. And Paul is saying, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, going back to Hebrews 11 in verse 34, escape the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies, uh, turned, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, tortured, not accepting deliverance. Can you imagine? Why? that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
That's hardcore. Tortured. Oh, you have the opportunity to be free. Now we're going to torture you and all you have to do is deny Christ. All you have to do is deny the Lord. And here we're going to do a little cut over here. A little snip over here. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs? That's a that's a difficult book to read. Read about the torture of Christians at the hand of the Roman Catholics. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. I don't care what people say. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. They call him vicar of Christ. I call him vicar of Antichrist. What they did to pregnant women. All you have to do is deny Christ. And in torture, as is written here in verse 35, not accepting deliverance. You see? Why? That they might obtain a better resurrection. You talk about the peace of God, which surpasses all. I mean, like, the more carnal you are, I mean, if you're like, whoa, that's impossible, that's a little barometer of like, well, maybe you're like second grade, third grade. But your university level, it's like, wow, that's my gal. Who are these women? Who are these people? Who are these men? Who are these women? I can't wait to meet them. These are beautiful, beautiful saints, beautiful people. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings, of scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. This, are, this is our family. This is what happened to our family. This is our lineage of faith. Heirs of Abraham. This is how the world treated them. This is our family. Sawn in two? What? Sawn in two? You read what they did to women. Sick, perverted, execution. It's one thing to be an executioner, but, you know, I mean, not, I'm not, you know, advocating it or anything like that, but it's one thing to be an executioner. But what they did to women, it was like extra gross. Extra sad. What they did to pregnant women. And the dads, they made watch. The husbands, they made watch before they killed the husband. I mean, the thought of it is, I don't like it. I 
don't like saying these things. But we have to have this perspective. And that's just the thought of it. Picture a husband seeing it. A son seeing it. Hearing it. The sounds. I don't like saying this. But the Bible says that in the last days, it's going to be worse than any other time in history. And we're at the verge of the last days. It's dangerous to be a baby. It's very dangerous to be a baby. Because the babies, I mean, what baby can stay afloat without help? As the waters get heavier and heavier, the storm gets heavier and heavier, What adult can stay afloat? The cost of infancy is going to be dangerous. And I know that there's babies in Christ and infancy in Christ and it is beautiful. But let us move on to perfection because these days are evil. Wicked, wicked days that we live in. And yet, just as the days of Noah, eat, drink, and giving in marriage. Christian females, oh yeah, I want to get married and I'm going to have 10 babies. I'm going to have five babies. I'm going to just have babies like crazy. Certain regions, certain locales, it is written, woe to the mothers. Woe to the pregnant and those nursing. We have to be Bereans and understand the times. Yes, days of Noah, but also days of Elijah. Don't forget, these things are written. And so we continue. Going back to Philippians 4. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, this is righteous and holy is how it translates. Whatever things are pure, This is clean and innocent. Whatever things are lovely. (laughs) Whatever things are lovely. 
it translates as friendly and lovely, tender, affectionate. It also includes deep attachment and a kiss as a mark of tenderness. I don't say these things carnally. I don't say these things carnally in saying this, but You know what's difficult about teaching? Is knowing that the difficulty in becoming a Philippian saint. And I speak in terms of like grade level. There's a lot of ease in, be- in being a first corinthian saint that's it's easy that's it's simple to be a flip a, a, a corinthian saint but to be a philippian saint you won't have friends christians will hate you But yet we move on to perfection. Sometimes, you know, I get comments from people. Oh, why do you teach so slow? Can you go faster? <laughs> There's, you know, some listening, wherever you listen, sometimes you can hit fast forward. But I don't have like a script I follow, you know. Sometimes I just, I can't speak. Like even looking at verse 8. Like 6, 7, 8. I want all of us to be Philippian saints. I want all of us to be here. But I also know there's tremendous difficulty in getting here. You know why? Yes, the flesh. But Satan doesn't want any Christian to be here. Satan doesn't want any Christian to be here. He doesn't want anybody to be Christians. But if people are going to become Christians, he wants them to be 1 Corinthians type. With the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, having sex with the dad's wife and all kinds of works of the flesh. Because through that, he can make a mockery of Christianity where the world wants, wants nothing to do with that. Have you ever talked to non-believers about the Lord? And they say, I want nothing to do with Christianity because I see the church. And what they see is the Corinthians. The sex. Pastors who are having sex with kids. Pastors molesting teenagers. Sick freaks, disgusting freaks where I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. But I don't have to because the Lord will do it. 
Satan doesn't want anybody to be a Philippian saint. And in saying these things, there's difficulty. Like, I want all of us, I want you to have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that not might guard your heart, that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want that for you. But the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, all these things of the flesh, of the world, they are prohibitors to reaching this point. But obedience is the effectuator of these very deep spiritual things. Intimacy with the Lord. It's hard to read verse 8 as much as we reference it all the time. It's hard to read verse 8 for me. Sometimes, you know, I speak slowly because, you know, number one, there's no script. Number two, it's like, you know... uh, Sometimes I get a little teary-eyed and I can't see. (laughs) So I look down at my Bible and I can't see. So I got to like dry my eyes. And so we see. In verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, which is righteous and holy, whatever things are pure, which is clean and innocent, whatever things are lovely. I don't say this in carnality. Philippian saints get this. I mean, to speak about tenderness and a, as a kiss, as a mark of tenderness, it's not carnal. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, like, you know, hey, you know, you know how dangerous this is to speak to a, a carnal Christian, a First Corinthians 3 do you know how dangerous it is to speak, like Paul says in, in different books, you know, a holy kiss? Do you know how dangerous that is when there's leaven? Well, guys, hey, let me give you a holy kiss. That ain't a holy kiss. Certain things of the Bible are very, very dangerous when there's no green pastures and still waters inside the camp. This tender affection, which is like a kiss as a mark of tenderness. It's not to say, you know, go out and start kissing and all. No, that's, that's carnal. That's the flesh. To have this deep fondness and affection and deep attachment. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything virtuous, if there is any virtue, translates as valor. Valor. Valor is a good word for warriors. Men of valor. Women of valor. Not according to the flesh, according to the word of God. Saints. And if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. This is the mind of the saint inside the temple. Inside the temple. Old Testament, New Testament. When the temple is defiled, you don't see the glory of the Lord. 
You see? So let's go back to that table. Five guys, ten guys. A guy wants to talk about the things that he does sexually that his wife doesn't know about. Is that noble? Is that holy? Is there purity in that? What good reports could come of that? Is it even virtuous? Is there any valor in that? Is it even praiseworthy? The church is in trouble. The church is in big trouble. Brother Peter says judgment comes first to the church. It's understandable why. Look at the flesh. Look at the flesh. Look at the carnal nature. You don't even need me to tell you this. We can see it. It's everywhere. You're female. You have a a fellowship of women at a table. What is the conversation? Is it pure? Is it clean and innocent? Is it virtuous? Is it praiseworthy? Is it noble? Is it true? Is it just and righteous and holy? A table with men. Same thing. Where do you see it? The conversations, the works of the hands, the steps of the feet. The Bible says, meditate on these things. Think on these things. This is that our bodies are temples. Meditate on these things. Meditate. Not the sex, the drugs, the the Buddha, the occult. I can't force it on anybody. A soul must choose for himself. A soul must choose for herself. I wish this were like a blanket statement where, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ? Okay, the, the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your heart. No, even the demons believe. Do they obey? No. Brother James says, even the demons believe. But they don't obey Jesus Christ. The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife in Corinth, he believes in Jesus Christ. But does he obey? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, in verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly do not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world outside the church. Or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. You got to get in a rocket ship and go live on Mars. 
Go live on the moon. Verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep, comp keep company with anyone named a brother inside the church who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, this is the separation chapter where now you identify the, re the, the leaven and then the remnant and you say to the remnant, okay, separate from them. Now, let's get back to work. Let's start working. Let's get back to work. Let's do, restore the temple. Restoration of the temple. You see? Like Ezra. Restoration. And then all of a sudden, we look back, look, look go back to Philippians 4 now. These things, referring back to the 1 Corinthians 5. You know, anyone named a brother inside the church, sexually immoral. Is that noble, just, pure, lovely? Is it true? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is it virtuous? Is it praiseworthy? Can those things be said of the covetous, of the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the extortioner? No, they cannot. They cannot. Philippian saints are not the Corinthian saints. The Corinthian saints are the ones who need to move on to perfection and become like the Philippian saints. And when that happens, through sacrifice, presenting oneself a living sacrifice to the Lord, the teacher, the pastor being poured on that as a drink offering, like Paul refers to himself, a drink offering on their sacrifice of themselves. Look at how all these things become effectuated. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's difficulty in studying these passages. For me, there's difficulty in not studying. There's difficulty in teaching. Because I know inside the church, inside the church today, the majority are Corinthians. The vast majority are Corinthians. But there are Philippians. And where you see Philippians, that's ministry material. Pastors, elders, pastors who listen, elders who listen. Inside the flock of God, which you care for and you feed and you protect. Where you see Philippian saints, 
That's ministry material. Helpers, co-workers, you see, co-laborers, helpers, male, female. No female pastors, no female elders. The blueprints are right before our very eyes. It's kind of easy. I don't want to say it's kind of easy. It's straight up. It's easy. We just have to follow. And to all listeners, I don't care if you're pastor, no pastor. I don't care if you're elder, no elder. I don't care if you're male, female, young, old. We move on to perfection. If you're a baby in Christ, rejoice. Move on to perfection. First grade, rejoice. Move on to perfection. And you can use verse 8 as a barometer for you. you you're a, a, a preschool Christian, first grade Christian. You're not going to see a lot of verse 8. You might see a little bit of verse 8 where your mind goes. But as you grow, as you mature, you're not going to think about these things anymore. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, whatever. You're not going to dwell on these things anymore. Why? Not to say like, oh, look how awesome you are. No. I say unto you, when you no longer dwell and think on the things of the flesh, I say to you, behold, behold, behold. The hand of God. See? Verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 9. The things which you learn, which is, it's learn, but it's to learn to, to, to reach a level of understanding. It's how they've matured. 13 years. Corinth was three years arrested development. Philippians was 13 years of no arrested development. Continual growth. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Paul is the example. He's not boasting. Remember in 317, what we studied last week, how brethren join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. It's not to say, oh, look how awesome I am. Paul's not saying that. But he's saying, what the things that you learned and received and heard in verse 9, chapter 4, and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Another, who is there's there's certainty to this. The things which you learned, received, and heard, and saw in me, you do that, and the God of peace will be, not might be with you, you do that, and the God of peace will be with you. Remember, Paul Paul's admonition and urging through, through his own experience, He has intimacy with the Lord. Remember when he says, you know, uh, I was in the third heaven. When Paul says, I was in the third heaven. 
But he doesn't even know. He says, like, you know, whether I was in the body or in the spirit, I don't know. Me personally, I think it was actually there. The Lord took him there. That's me personally. But for Paul to say, I don't even know. It could have been a vision, but you know what? I, I could have straight up been there. I mean, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he said. I don't know if I was there, but you know, if I was there or not, if I was in spirit, I, I don't know. I don't know if I was there physically. I don't know. But the third heaven. And Paul doesn't say these things to say like, oh, look how awesome I am. Look, I was there and you can never be there. Look, I got this and you look, the Lord showed me this and the Lord speaks to me and look at all this power. No. He says these things from the position of experience. Himself understanding that he is a pattern, just like he says in chapter 3, verse 17. Join in following my example. Because he knows you follow my example and, you know, the same God who reveals himself to me will do so with you. But the formula has got to be right in you, saints. See? It's not Paul saying, oh, look how awesome I am and look, I'm so cool and look, the Lord speaks to me and he speaks through me and all these things. Therefore, tithe a thousand dollars. Therefore, tithe $10,000. Therefore, tithe $100. No. He says, your money, keep it. Keep it. You give with a cheerful heart. You don't have a cheerful heart? Keep it. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You know what's sad? When we get, I'm not, we're not there yet, but when we get to the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to young Pastor Timothy, when he says, only Luke is with me. You can already see that it's, 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 it's almost like It's just sad. Forgive me. I know I, I I speak slowly sometimes. I know, but Paul is a pattern. Timothy's a pattern. Titus is a pattern. Chloe a pattern. Priscilla Aquila patterns. The Lord has these people to show us and to teach us. You look at the intimacy of Jeremiah unto the Lord and then look at what the Lord does in Jeremiah and through Jeremiah. Look at what the Lord does in Isaiah and through Isaiah. Look at what the Lord does in Hannah and through Hannah. All these beautiful people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us move on to perfection. Not being a Corinthian saint and staying in Corinth. Let's be Corinthian saints and move on to Philippian saints. Moving on to perfection. And all these things can be effectuated in us. The promises of the Lord. 
Because, oh, I, I rest in the Lord and, oh, yeah, I have the peace of the Lord and I trust in the promises of the Lord. And, yes, I trust that the Lord is going to do good things and this and that. But you know what? Let's go do some crack. doesn't work that way. Oh, I trust in the Lord and his word and his promises and he wants good things for me and everything's going to be good to go for me. And you know what? Let me, let me go do the strippers. Let me go to the Buddha. Let me go gambling. Do the pornography over here. Let me be a tax cheat. Little white lies. Get my free Disneyland tickets. Doesn't work that way. The Philippian saints are different. A mature church. Mature Christians. Awesome teachers. Beautiful, beautiful pastors and deacons. Remember, deacons can be female. Remember, uh, 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 I forgot her name in Romans. Uh, now I can't find it. Oh, Phoebe, 16, verse 1, Romans 16, verse 1. Sorry, I know I teach slowly. It's not that I want to teach slowly, but I want us to understand these things together. I don't want to like teach and say like, hey, look, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do it. No, we're in the same boat. We study and teach together. People used to tell me, oh, you teach too long. Can you make it 20 minutes? No. <laughs> kind of a luxury that we have now, because if you get tired, hit pause, take a nap. Come back and listen. Continue on. People who've had intimacy with the Lord. And they say, look, do this, do this, do this, do this. When the formula is right in the pastor, listen to him. He doesn't want your money. The godly ones. They don't want your money. They want you to obey the Lord. So that all these things can be of the Lord can be effectuated in you. Don't forget being a Philippian saint. There was trouble in the flesh, trouble all around them. All around them. It was dangerous to be a Christian in Philippi. You see? But like Paul, he's already dead. Saints are already dead. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. That you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You see, it was an inopportune time. Not that I, res not, not that I speak in regard to need. Pastors, take note. A lot of pastors today. 
Oh, if you want to be a part of what God is doing. Oh, look, the Lord put this on my heart. And so we're going to do this project, which requires another $100,000. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you're going to tithe more. Look, we passed around the offering plate. Look, we're going to pass it around more. We're going to pass it around again so that you can give more. Look, we're just so we can have accountability. We want to make sure things are on the up and up. Just so we have accountability, we want you to see that, you know, every week we're going to publish this so you can see we're at, you know, $500, we're at $10,000, we're at $25,000, we're at $30,000. Just so you see things are on the up and up. Now you see the budget is here, but what you don't see is where that money goes, how it's spent. How the money is distributed. Little kickbacks over here, little kickback over here, kickback over there. You don't see that. They like to publish everything. Oh, look, everything's on the up and up. We want to have a full accountability. But the Lord sees it all. And Paul says in verse 11, not that I, I'm not speaking in regard to need. You see, I love this so much. Pastors, if you have a need, give it to the Lord. Tell the Lord. And I tell you from experience, things just supernaturally fall into place. It's the hand of the Lord. Pastors like to get in the way of God. I don't get it. It might be the fluoride. I don't know. They like to get in the way. Oh, the Lord put this on my heart. And if you want to be a part of what God, look, compelling saints. Don't do that. If you're a pastor, don't do that. Give it to the Lord. Actually, don't give it. If the Lord put it on your heart, he already knows about it. Where the Lord guides, he provides. Trust in him. Maybe it wasn't the Lord, pastor. You see? And if it wasn't the Lord, who in the world are you listening to, pastor? And Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I love it. He himself has learned to be content. In verse 12, I know how to be abased, which is to live humbly. And I know how to abound, which is to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned. Translates better as I have been taught. I have been taught. I love this because you see a little disciple state of Paul. Just like, you know, you see the disciples in the, uh, in, in, in the Gospels. You see the disciples, and then you read Acts, and they're apostles. Student, and then messenger. Disciple, and then apostle. Disciple, student, and then messenger. The same applies to you. You have a period where you are in the student phase. And as you grow, as you mature, you get into, you know, formerly in preschool. Now you're university level. Now messenger. You're no longer a novice. You can share the good news, share the gospel, and when the Satanists come to attack you, you can give a response. 
When the Mormons come and attack you, you can give a response. When the J-dubs come to attack you, Jehovah's Witness, you can give a response. When the Calvinists give you know, a rebuttal, you can counter. When the Reformed theory people give a counter, you can give a counter. The conversation I had with the Reformed person, wanted to be a pastor, gave sermons before. It was about a four-hour conversation, three hours, 45 minutes, a long conversation. He was reformed. I'm not. Finally, at the end of it, he tells me, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. And then I knew who I'm dealing with. You see? And it's from the word. It's not like, oh, look how awesome, you know, oh, look, he knows his Bible, he knows this. No, it's, it's from the word. It's the Lord. It's, remember, knowledge of the Bible is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's so powerful because you see the disciple phase of Paul. In all things I have learned or I have been taught both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything how it translates, anything through Christ who strengthens me or who empowers me. You see, intimacy. Intimacy. You know, we live in the age of electric cars. Electric cars. You go to charge your car, you got to be close to the little, the little unit, the wall unit or the power charger. You got to be close to it. And with proximity, you plug in and then all of a sudden, empowered. The vehicle is empowered, has power to go forward. Same exact thing for you and me. Intimacy with Christ. And it's not your strength. Remember, you're just a dead guy. You're just a dead gal. It's him. It's him. And with humility... Through humility, you're out of the way. And when you're out of the way, you can see the hand of God. But you need eyes to see and ears to hear. Nevertheless, in verse 14, you have done well that you shared in my distress or you partook, you partook. You know, to partake. You partook in my distress or you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, do you remember our study through Corinthians and how the Corinthians had the Macedonian example? And they were poor. The Macedonians were poor. Remember? Oh, Paul, take this money. They begged Paul. Paul, take this money. But yet here, Paul says, nobody, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. So, you know, a, a non-believer, a mocker of the last days, maybe even an atheist would say, look, the Bible, there's a contradiction. No. When you look at the timing of things, the events of things, yes, the Macedonians were an example to the Corinthians. But where did the Macedonians learn it from? The Philippians. Now you see 
in accordance to our study through, through Romans and the rugby match, you see the Philippians playing rugby with the Macedonians. And the Macedonians playing rugby with the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were just babies. You see? How it all fits. It all comes together perfectly. The square in the square. The triangle in the triangle. The circle in the circle. The rectangle in the rectangle. The octagon in the octagon. The trapezoid in the trapezoid. You see? We don't have to mess things up and be like, well, you know, thou, in accordance to this dispensation, the Holy Spirit worked there and the Holy Spirit is all done and it's not for today because, you know, our doctrine, our dogmas have to say this and that and seminary taught me this and seminary taught me that. And so the Bible says this and this. And so they try to shove a square into a circle. Everything fits. And it's so beautiful because you see the how the saints in Philippi, how they grew and for 13 years growth. In verse 2, we see Yodia and Sintiki of the same mind. And the urging uh, to the saints could be an individual, the companion, there's singularity there in verse 3. But to help these women who were co-laborers. In the gospel. But then when you look at Acts, turn to Acts 16 really quick. Acts 16. And in Acts 16, <clears throat> look at verse 11. Acts 16, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, Philippi, in verse 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, Sabbath day, which remember, we know the Sabbath because we've studied, we have that base plate of the Torah, the Sabbath day, a day of rest. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women, the women who met there. You see, why were the women meeting? Why couldn't they meet in the, in the city? Now you see something beautiful among these women. Hardcore women. Ostracized from the men. Oh, the men, they got to be hardcore and yes, go to synagogue and do all these things. And they want to say, oh, we're of the elect. We're of the elect. We're going to be awesome and we're going to do these things. And look, it's the Sabbath. But the women, they're just like, okay, that's nice. We're going to meet over here by the river. You see? We're going to go out of the outside of the city. We're going to meet over here by the river. Where prayer was customarily made. And Paul, in this little bubble, we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Remember, it was customary for Paul to go into synagogues. Except, Paul goes to the riverside. Now a certain woman in verse 14 named Lydia, beautiful Lydia, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. 
the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. You see, divine appointment. Divine appointment, Lydia and Paul. Divine appointment. Lydia, today is your day of salvation. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and, and stay. So she persuaded us. I love this beautiful lady. I can't wait to meet her. I'm in love with her. I love her. I wonder if among this group of women at this prayer meeting where Lydia was, I wonder if among them, going back to Philippians 4 verse 2, is Eodia and Syntyche. I wonder. But yet for 13 years, you see the growth of the church in Philippi. And at the very beginning of the birth of the church in Philippi, what do you see? Women. Women. You see? <laughs> God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care you're an old guy or an old lady. He doesn't care you're young, you're old, you're male. He doesn't care. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care what you look like. You know, you're handsome, you're ugly according to the flesh. He doesn't care. There's a different way of seeing things according to the Spirit. Beauty according to the Spirit. And so all of a sudden we go back to our study through Philippians 4. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You see, the Philippians became the example to Macedonians. The Macedonians became the example to uh, Corinthians. And you see the, with eyes to see and ears to hear, you see a little rugby match. In accordance to our study through Romans, the Philippians playing rugby with younger Macedonians, the Macedonians grow up and then they play rugby with the younger Corinthians. We see in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my, ne for my necessities. You see, 13 years growing, no arrested development in Philippi. Not that I seek the gift. Pastors, pay attention. Not that I seek the gift. Remember in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need. A lot of pastors, the majority of pastors. Oh, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing. You know, we've budgeted $100,000 and we're going to move to this or we're going to move to that or we're going to go over here or we're going to do this. Look, the Lord has put this on the heart. We're going to do this. The Lord, and we need a budget of 50000 We need a budget of 100000 So look, you can, we're going to pass the offering plate and we're going to keep things on the up and up and we're going to, we're going to uh, publicize this information just so you can see where the money is. Just where you can see, so you can see how much is being, how much is, you know, people are tithing and offering. Then they have like a little chart in the, you know, in a room, in a fellowship room, a little chart. 
And then the saints come in and they see, wow, look, we're almost, look, we want to be a part of what God is doing. And look, we're, the, 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 the money, it's growing. And is it the Lord doing it? Or is it the compulsion of men? Is it the compulsion of a pastor? And is it the Lord who he's listening to? Or is it his own belly? Is it his own desires? Instead of having a church on the rough side of town, he wants to have a church on the waterfront. Oh, the Lord called us over here. We're going to go over here. Is it the Lord? You see, you have to look at the formula. The pastor says, oh, the Lord is calling us over here. Let's go grave soaking. Wrong formula. Oh, the Lord is calling us over here. Look, we've budgeted for $100,000. We've budgeted for $10,000. We've budgeted for whatever amount. Oh, let's go worship Mary. Oh, the Lord has budgeted $50,000. And if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you'll help us in this endeavor. Oh, let's take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Let's read the study Bibles. Let's read the coalition. You see? Wrong formula. Don't follow that. Paul? Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. In verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You see, he's thinking because he knows how the Lord works. Paul knows how the Lord works. And he knows that through sacrificial giving, the Lord works. Just like, you know, know, never test the Lord, but the Lord gives little indicators like, okay, go ahead and test me in this. One of them is tithes and offerings. And Paul's not saying, well, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you'll help us in this endeavor and this and that. Remember, he almost refused the money of the Macedonian saints. He didn't want, they had to beg him to take the money. He doesn't want the gift, the money. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He wants the blessings of the Lord to be on the saints who give through their obedience. He wants the blessings of the Lord to be upon them for their own growth and maturity to help them go from Corinth to Philippi, to help them go from Galatia to Philippi, to help them go from Ephesus to Philippi, growing and maturing. You see? Oh, but with this money, look at what can do for the kingdom. You think the Lord needs money? Do you think, let's be straight up. Do you think the Lord, I mean, you look up at the sun for a millisecond, just like a little quick look and, you know, put on sunglasses, a little quick look. The one who made that, you look at the moon at night. The one who made that. You look at like one star. There's a a bajillion stars. You look at one star. The one who made that. You think he needs money to advance the kingdom? I mean, look at what he did in Egypt. When he makes himself known, people just, you know, okay, you know, the God of Israel, he is God. 
Yes, Egypt, we have these gods and we have these gods, but whoa, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, we're not messing with him. He is Lord. Then they tried to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, no, look, our gods can't do this. You know, our gods, our gods can do the, the blood. Our gods can make the water red. But our God, once the hail come, our gods can't do that. The God of Israel, listen to them. Pharaoh, listen to them. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God hardened his heart. The Lord made himself known. You think God needs money to advance the kingdom? Oh, but if you want to be a part of the what the Lord is doing, then you're going to tie the little extra. Instead of 10%, you're going to give 20%. Instead of 20%, you're going to give 30%. And look, we have this church membership form. And if you want to be a member of this church, then, you know, you got to get how much is your annual salary? Husband, how much is your annual salary? Wife, if you work, what is your annual salary? Kids, where do they work? Because we want to make sure that everybody's tithing, just like the Bible says, 10%. And we want to, you know, we have our accounts receivables and we want to make sure that everything's on the up and up. That ain't up and up, pastor. That's stupidity. Think the Lord needs money to advance his kingdom? I mean, when he makes himself known, it's free, monetarily speaking. When he makes himself known, that's zero dollars. What about when he makes himself known through people, through his vessels? See, people think, oh, you know, talk to missionaries. Mostly in Western cultures, missionaries from Africa, missionaries from South America, missionaries in Central America, missionaries from China. They don't have this problem. They're straight up missionaries. But I see this like among 95% of the missionaries in Western culture. And I teach from America. And it's sad. I say this to our shame. Missionaries. Oh, the Lord is calling me to the third world. The Lord is calling me over here. The Lord is calling me over there. And, you know, I did this budget. And, you know, my health insurance costs are going to be this. And, you know, my 401k, I need to be able to deposit this. And I want to fund my 401k. And I'm going to need living expenses. And I don't want to live. I don't want to live in the shack. You know, they don't have warm water there. I want to live in this high rise. I want to live in this gated community where I'm going to be nice and protected, you know, armed guards. And I'm going to live in this nice community where we have a private schools for my kids. And I'm going to, you know, I need this. So, you know, bare bones minimum, I need at least $8,000 a month just to, just to, so that I can fulfill what the Lord is wanting me to do. I need $8,000 a month. So... Do you want to be a part of what God is doing? And, you know, maybe, you know, if you're, if you're poor, maybe give 20 bucks a month. And, you know, if you're rich, do you want to bankroll the whole thing? You see, I say this to our shame. I teach from America, but I see this a lot among American missionaries. Now, the Lord is calling you go. When you read the book of Acts and see how the Lord guides and how he provides, he does it in real time. Not, you know, you, you, you've budgeted, you know, $50,000 for a year. And so you can't go unless you have $50,000. No, he does it in real time. And you might get nothing. So you have to sleep in the grass. So you can stay humble. 
nice jello heart the whole time. You see? The Lord doesn't need money to advance the kingdom. Pastors, teach! Teach the flock so that they know. Teach the flock so that they know not to have sex with the dad's wife, you know? Teach the flock so that they know not to mess around with drugs and alcohol and sex. Teach the flock about holiness and righteousness through example. Like when, when Paul says in verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul speaks from experience. Whether I was in the third heaven, in flesh or in spirit, I don't know. And Paul has intimacy with the Lord and he wants the flock of God to have intimacy with the Lord just like he has intimacy with the Lord. He's not saying, look how awesome I am and you guys are on milk and I want you to stay on milk so you're dependent on me. That's wickedness, pastor. You teach. You pour into the flock. You teach them. So when somebody says, hey, look, read this book, Crazy Love, you say, get that out of my face. I don't want that crazy love. That's crazy town. Hey, read this book. Look, it's coalition material. Get that out of my face. That's garbage. Hey, read this book. You know, look, study Bible. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Get that out of my face. It's crazy town. I want that mess. You see? Pastors, teach. If you live in a cardboard box, pastor, so be it. Live in a cardboard box to the glory of the Lord. Teach, pour, protect, feed. Kill the wolves, metaphysically, supernaturally, not physically. And if you die, you die. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Saints in Philippi, this is what Paul wants. I want this for you. I don't want the gift, but I know that in you giving the gift, I know that what the Lord does in that and through that, it's for you, saint. It's not so that I can look at this this church on the waterfront with stained glass and look, it's all beautiful. It's to glorify the Lord. No, the Lord is not glorified in a building. His temple is not a building. His temple is the saints. You see? It's not carnal. But what do we see today? Carnality. Indeed, in verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, receiving, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Remember Epaphroditus? Paul says, you know, hold men such as this in high esteem. Hold people such as this in high esteem. Epaphroditus, a runner. You know, the saints in Philippi, they see that Paul has a need. Hey, Paul, what do you need? Okay, we're going to send you this. You need parchment? We're going to send you the parchment. Just like Paul makes his request to Timothy, you know, give me the, send me the parchments. Why did he want the parchments? You think like he's in prison. Is he cold at night? He wants a blanket. He wants this. He wants, you know, some food, some chips, some, you know, some salsa, some whatever. No, parchments. Send me the parchments. So that I can write to the saints. 
Tell them how much I love them. How they're my joy and my crown. How much I long for them. And to exhort them and to teach them and to train them. Send me the parchments. Give me the parchments. I'm running out of ink. Give me the ink. So that I can pour. And Paul says in verse 18, Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, you see, picture the aroma. First Corinthians chapter 3, when they're milk drinkers, when you have the works of the flesh there, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion. You take that aroma, whatever it is, a little stank in there, maybe a lot of stank. And you take that aroma and you compare that with the sweetness of Philippi. <laughs> Philippi is what we move towards to grow and mature in Christ. A sweet swelling, smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, an approved sacrifice. Very interesting. Remember our study through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. And you see Paul, a pastor of the new covenant, a teacher of the new covenant, a pattern, an example to emulate, to follow. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you see him as a new covenant believer in his state of Aboda Aboda Mishkan. Because it was the priests, in accordance to Torah, it was the priests who would inspect the sacrifices. Nope. Can't accept this, it's blemished. We cannot give this to the Lord. We cannot sacrifice this to the Lord. This is an this is unacceptable offering to the Lord. Because the priests had a responsibility in their service unto him in Abodah Abodah Mishkan. And I speak in accordance to Torah. But as a shadow of things to come, Paul says, Yes, this is an acceptable sacrifice, an approved sacrifice. You see. Nothing mangy. But in Corinth, I don't want your money, he says. To the Corinthian saints, no, I don't want it. I have every right to take, but no, I don't want it. Philippians, I don't seek the gift. But understanding that the fruit abounds to your account. And yes, to the Philippian saints, this is an acceptable sacrifice in verse 18. Well, pleasing to God. Whoa. Well, pleasing to God. And my God, he says in verse 19, my God. You see? Remember, 
He has intimacy with the Lord. And knowing how through the obedience of the Philippian saints, certain things of the Lord, promises of the Lord are now effectuated, just like we see in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. You see, and in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. He says in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Notice, his riches in glory. You know what that means? Not of this world. Pastors today, oh yes, if you give, if you give a hundred dollars, oh, the Lord will give you tenfold. Oh, if you give a thousand dollars, oh, the Lord will give you tenfold. And then you have Christians who go out and after church, they go buy their lottery tickets. Oh, look, the pastor says, I'm going to get tenfold, so I'm going to get tenfold. And they don't get, they, they scratch the lottery tickets and say, oh, uh, you know, I'll be patient. I'll be patient. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm still going to go to the lottery house and, you know, pay for, you know, a dollar here, ten dollars here and buy the tickets. And hopefully I'll win the lottery soon because the pastor told me that, you know, I give a hundred dollars. I tithe a hundred dollars. I tithe a thousand dollars and I'm going to get tenfold. So do you see what happens? The deception in the church today, the money preachers, the servants of Satan. It is true that the Lord responds to obedience and yes, the obedience of giving unto him. And he supplies all need. But the blueprint says that it's according to the rich to his riches in glory his riches are not of the world now when his riches are in the world the world wants to kill them you see when his riches when his the things of god when they're in this world the world hates them the world wants them dead look what they did to the prophets look at what we did what we looked at in hebrews 11 look what they did to our lord himself the Son of God. Don't expect this to be in accordance to the world because it's in accordance to His riches in glory. And it's done by Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. You see? In verse 20. <laughs> Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see? Almighty. The Almighty. The Almighty that we read about in Genesis. The Almighty that we read about in Deuteronomy. Who never changes. The promises unto Abraham. And the law was added because of sin. And the law is in effect still. It is the lesser glory, but it points to Christ. And the law, which is still in effect because the wages of sin is death. But then all of a sudden, until the seed, it was added because of sin until the seed. And now that the seed has arrived and has died. Remember? I mean, we're going to touch on this when we get into Hebrews. But the seed must die. Rose again. And then all of a sudden is to abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. See? 
Who is like our God? Nobody. No one, no thing, no nothing. There is only one. Elohim. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Elohim. In closing, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. You see, family. The brethren, this bubble, this bubble of Paul, you know, the, 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 the saints who are with me, they send you their love. Remember, he says in verse 1, my beloved and longed for brethren to intensely crave and yearn my joy and my crown. And these, these saints who are with me, they greet you as well. Family. Not biological. Spiritual. Koinonia. Ecclesia. Episunagage. The Hagios. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but I can't wait to find out. What, what, what's up with Caesar's household? I don't know what that's about. But we'll find out at the marriage supper. Verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. To the beautiful people of the way. A beautiful remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.